Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. The Magic Five, custom fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Welcome to Swimming's Best Talk Show. Gonna learn all the things that Brett Hawk knows as he has a chat with his guests about what it takes to be the best. But the sport's about more than just best times. It's winning the battle against your mind. So listen in and let's take a dive with Brett Hawk as we go inside. All right, Rob Woodhouse, welcome to the podcast, mate. Long time coming. How you doing? I'm very well. Yourself? I'm I'm great, mate. Doing really well. So uh, thanks for doing this. Um, where are you coming from right now? I'm in uh, on the west coast of Scotland. I've, I've lived here for... Uh, about 12 years now um so uh yeah love it up here and it's a, a beautiful summer's day and um life's good beautiful summer's day in scotland never heard that but uh that's, <laughs> that's good i'm glad you get some but uh listen mate you got an incredible story i think uh as as an olympic medalist most people would say that would be the pinnacle of your of your swimming career but you've had a career beyond swimming which has been astronomical mate so i want to go into all of it for those that don't know you right now you are the GM of the London Raw, correct? That's right, yep. Right, okay. And and just tell us, when are you headed down to Naples? What's going on there with the team? So London Raw is not competing in the first week of the um, regular season. Uh, our first match starts 2nd, 3rd of September. So um, we head down a few days before that, 30th of August. And, um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to getting down there and getting the team together again. Right now, in terms of the team itself, you've got a lot of big names on, on your team. Um, talk us through just a couple that you can give us some ideas of who's actually going to be there at the beginning and, and when some others are coming in. Yeah, we've got a few. We've got a, we've got a pretty good roster, I think, and, um, and and who knows what will happen uh, over the course of the season um, with a few changes of people coming in and out. Um, uh, Adam Peaty will not be competing this season um, uh, by the look of it. He's doing Strictly, as you probably know, Strictly Come Dancing. So he's the- not going to compete at all? No, he won't be competing at all. Um, uh, well, possibly towards the end of November, but uh, it's highly unlikely. He wanted a good. He wanted a really good break. Right. Um, 
and that was that was in the plans months ago and 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 well before strictly uh, came out came along as well so he wanted a good break because uh, mm -hmm. uh, well for obvious reasons a few swimmers have talked about this it's a really busy three years ahead so we won't have adam Peaty, we won't have uh, tom dean the olympic champion the turn of freestyle in naples but we will have tom back for uh, for november for the playoffs uh kate campbell uh will be back for the playoffs as well um but we do have um emma mckeon and kyle chalmers coming in um, as well as a couple of other Australians, Zach Inserti, who was uh, great in those relays in um, in Tokyo, plus Minna Atherton, who wasn't on the team in Tokyo, but she's such a brilliant short course swimmer. So um, this is really the major event for her, the ISL this year. So and, and it's interesting. We've got a few swimmers like that, that the ISL is... Um, is uh, as big, if not bigger, than the Olympics. So, you know, if you have something to prove or if you are just really great short-course swimmers. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty solid team. Um, and I think we'll just sort of build through the rounds in Naples, see how we go and uh, and, and see see what uh, everyone else has to put up and, uh, and go from there. Oh, mate, well, it's a great team with the addition of those Aussies that you're talking about. I, I didn't think they were going to be showing up at all. So that's fantastic, especially some someone like a superstar like Emma McKeon who just had – the Olympics that she had, and you have, uh, I'm, most people might not know this, but you have a personal connection to her, whereas that's your s sister's, that's her mother, right? You that's correct, yeah. So uh, my sister Susie is Emma's mum and, uh, and, of course, David's mum. From uh, David was a, a two-time Olympian in uh, yeah. London, Rio. So um, a, a big swimming connection. In fact, uh, Emma's parents, uh, Susie and Ron McKean, um, were uh, both on the Commonwealth Games with me uh, back in 1982, which Michael Bowl was also on that team as well. So, Holy. Um, yeah, so that was quite a uh, quite an interesting field in, uh, it, it, or team that was. And, uh, and from that, well, not from there, but uh, Susie and Ron got together a couple of years after that and then I guess the rest is history from their perspective but yeah it's fantastic that Emma's coming over and Kyle and the other Aussies it is a it is a big commitment from them um, just because of the issues that there are in terms of getting out as well as getting back into Australia um, and and those guys will be staying um, in Europe um, through the regular season uh, through the the, uh, the break in between uh, and into the playoffs, so it's a it's a big three month stint for them to uh, to stay in Europe for that that period. They will be returning home after the playoffs. Awesome, mate. Good stuff. Well, you do have a great team, and and I want to come back to the ISL because I think there's a lot to talk about there. But I I want to dig into your story a little bit just to give people an idea of who you are, where you came from. You did mention the fact that you, you swam at the Olympics and, and Commonwealth Games and, and your family, your sister was a swimmer and you've got some family history, but kind of just take us back to where it started for you and how it progressed. Well, I guess it started for for a lot of Australians, yourself probably included. That uh, you know, swimming is is was for, first and foremost uh, a life skill, and uh, and learning to swim was just a natural thing that happens in Australia. And and uh, and from there, of course, um, it's just a fun place to be in the water, isn't it? Whether you be in the in in the, at the beach or in a pool or in the river or in a lake or something like that. So. Um, no different to any other Australians. I followed my brother and my older sister, and I've got two younger sisters as well. And um, and uh, you know, through the through the swimming lessons into a swimming club. And uh, growing up, where? Uh, grew up in Melbourne. 
Okay. Uh, a place called North Bourne in the east of uh, east of Melbourne, and um, and spent uh, went through school there until I went to the uh, Australian Institute of Sport. I went there when I was sixteen, actually. Again, followed my sister Susie uh, up there, and um, uh, yeah, made my first Australian team uh, when a senior team when I was sixteen, which was the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane that we just talked about, and and uh, was fortunate enough to be in that team for uh, for ten years. So it was a um, it was a great time, and and as we all know, when we're representing our country, it's just a you don't realize it at a time, but there's so much you you get out of your uh, out of swimming and out of the career and 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 uh, and so forth, which really does stand you in good stead for for what happens next. Yeah, for sure, mate. Um, you, you mentioned part, you were part of the early days of the AIS too. You know what was going on during that period of time? Who was your coach and and what was happening? Yeah, so I joined in 1983, um, and um, uh, Dennis Persley was my coach. Uh, He'd come, he'd come from the US and uh, previously coached uh, Mary T, Mary T Ma, the, the great 200 butterfly, 100 200 butterfly. And uh, he started the AIS program back in 1981. And, uh, and so I joined him when they, they split the men's and the women's team, I think in 1983. Uh, and he was the coach of the, the, um, the men's team and Bill Sweeten was the coach of the women's team. So, uh, um, uh, I, I, so I swam with him for a couple of years and then uh, stayed at AIS when he moved on. He went to a swimming club in Canada and I ended up actually joining him um, uh, over in uh, Edmonton in Canada in 1986 to do a, to do a season with him there. So I've had a great relationship with Dennis over the years and, um, and uh, I haven't kept in touch with him in recent years, but um, sort of followed his progress and, and vice versa. Um, sort for the last 10 20 or 25 years now yeah yeah dennis has been around big uh impact on swimming world obviously with the jobs that he's had that uh mate thank god you're a 400 iammer at the time I, I imagine there was a lot of work being done back then there was a lot of work being done back then and um and there was a philosophy of uh sort of everyone everyone does the same thing in certain parts of the season here <laughs> Did a thing called Hell Week, which uh, I think everyone pretty much had to do, and it was—I can't remember the exact mileage, but it was around about 120 kilometres, and it it sort of built up over a four-week period. And and uh, for the IMers, uh, I remember there was one one year where we did. Um, I think in week one of the, the, the this really big endurance month, that one of the sets was a three thousand fly for time, and then it increased by a thousand metres each week up to six thousand metres fly for time. I think uh, 100 100s on 110 once and uh, long course and a few really, really tough sort of long sets like 2400s and things like that. So I don't think they do too much of that these days, which is probably a smart thing. They listen to sports science a bit. But, uh, yeah, we certainly uh, we certainly put the miles in, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, thank God we don't do 120Ks. Uh, I would have been out of the sport long ago. But, um, mate, growing up in Australia, I, I have memories of you just, um, you know, as kind of like – we didn't have a lot of superstars back in the day. We didn't have a lot of people to look up to and to kind of admire and, and you know, want to be like. And you were certainly one of those names that was around. You know, I, I remember being a young kid. Um, on, you're not that much older than me, so I don't want to insult you, but you're a little bit older than me. But I remember being a kid on the pool deck and just seeing you kind of cruise around and thinking, oh, that's Rob Woodhouse, you know, like, you know, it, it, you just look up to people. And you were certainly one of those guys that I looked up to at the time. So I just wanted to you at least know that. Oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. It's funny when you when you're growing up, you do you have your you have your heroes, and um and and, and I was the same. I, I I remember going to the uh, 
I think it was uh, 1976, the Olympic uh, were in Montreal and uh, the Australian team was training in Melbourne once and I went along there as a, as a young 10-year-old and I'd never even thought about the Olympics before then and then watched these guys, Steve Holland and various others on TV and and, uh, and that was sort of the, the start of, I guess, my Olympic sort of dream, if you like. And it, it does, it builds from there, doesn't it? And, and, and my hero um, sort of four or five years later was a, uh, a coincidentally, or not, maybe not so, but it was a, a, a Canadian guy called Alex Bauman who... Um, mm. Who, of course, is uh, now uh, very strongly linked to uh, to the success of the Australian team in Tokyo, and has had an incredible career um, after his um, double gold in at the LA Olympics as well. Yeah, mate, you you took the bronze in '84. Who were the who were the guys that beat you in that race? So Alex Bauman won the gold right. uh, and um, uh, broke the world record, and uh, a Brazilian, Ricardo Prado, is a great mm. man. Mm. Uh, he I know him. He yeah. was the world champion, and uh, yeah, you would know him, yeah, and um, and it was great actually having a couple of the Brazilians uh, on our uh, ISL London Raw team in recent years um, uh, to, to talk, who talked about Ricardo, and actually they put me back in touch with him um, through social media and things like that. So uh, it, was, it was good to connect with him again. Mate, when your swimming career comes to an end, what what year was that? Around ninety, ninety one, ninety two, around there? Yeah, ninety. Uh, ninety was my last Australian team. Come off game. I um, had a bit of a half-hearted or a bit of an attempt to, to make the 92 team, which uh, fell short. And so from there on, I, I went into um, – I was studying and I finished my degree and, and, and went into, uh, into full-time employment from there. Not long after that, you go into a career that turns into a massive uh, deal for you. you. You start your own, I believe let – me, let me get this right. You start your own company called Elite Sports Properties – and go into sports management. Why did you decide to take that angle? How did that come about? Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I had a marketing degree, and I'd um, I was working at um, uh, Australia Post, which is uh, the equivalent of the US Postal Service or Royal Mail here in the the UK. And and um, I was working there in a um, it, was, it was this Olympic job program, and um, working through various roles and so on. And and um, I got offered the uh, opportunity to work in uh, in TV to cover the Commonwealth Games in 1994 in Canada. So that was my first sort of um, uh, foray back into the sort of elite um, world of swimming again. And mm. I was there doing the doing the media commentary there for the TV and loving that. And um, and uh, Sydney had won the Olympic bid for for uh, 2000. They'd won that year before in 1993. So with a marketing background and so forth, I, I started thinking about the idea of representing athletes and and um, Olympic athletes in particular and, and um, uh, doing deals for them and looking after them in the lead up to Sydney and, and so decided to go out on my own, started my own company just from the front bedroom in my house and um, did that, uh, started that in 1995 and uh, sort of never never really looked back. It was a, um, it was a big learning curve um, but uh, and, and it was, a, I guess, a, a risk but it was a, it was a risk I wanted to take and, um, you know, managed to work, work hard and, um, and it, it's paid off well. Talk to us about the the business and the industry a little bit. Maybe even in the early days, um, you know, who were some of your early signings? What what was happening at the time? How how do athletes go about, you know, making a living being being an athlete, being a professional athlete? You know, marketing themselves. What were you doing? Yeah, it's and it's changed a lot um, since yeah. ninety five, of course, as well. Sure. Um, as sports become more and more professional, but um, you know the. The first athletes I signed, you, you know them well, Brett. Um, Michael Clem was mm -hmm. uh, was the first athlete I signed. I was working with Nicole Livingston as well. 
there's a, a cyclist called Shane Kelly, a famous Australian track cyclist as well. And, and um, but it was really Michael and Nicole and a few others that um, I really started with. And and um, I'd like to I'd like to say that I knew exactly what I was doing and so forth. But it, it was really about a bit of graft and and and, and good communication and, and and knowing the athletes and so forth. And then really really working hard to look for the opportunities and and learning as I was going. So uh, I was on a fast learning curve. Within a year, I'd signed um, a number of other athletes, including Susie O'Neill, who'd just come off the back of uh, winning the Olympic gold in Atlanta. And and uh, from that point, I guess, leading into the um, the home world championships in 1998 in Perth and mm. then on Sydney, from that point, the business just really took off. And, and um, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, you know, by the time we got to Sydney, it was, a, it was quite a, a substantial business. We had uh, about 30 staff and, and um, doing all sorts of things, Aussie rules, football, cricket, um, uh, working with Olympic athletes, doing uh, PR programs and event management and so on, and, and sort of just continued to grow ever since. I want athletes to have a clear understanding of what this means and and because obviously there's a lot of athletes just coming off the Olympics and I've actually talked to a couple of athletes just recently who who did pretty well at the Olympics and they're and they're thinking about getting an agent like like Bobby Fink I just interviewed him and he's like I'm interviewing a few agents right now and I'm looking at some sponsorship deals so like you know you can give us the best insights here um what's the realities of the industry for an athlete how do you how do you select your athletes? Who are the ones that end up doing the best? What kind of deals are you getting for them? Just give us a snapshot of the, the reality of this thing. Yeah, well, it's, I, I guess I can, I can certainly do that, but also um, talk about some of the pitfalls as well because basically mm. the, the realities are that the, no matter who the agent is, the, the deals don't necessarily come to the agent. The agent needs to go out or, or manager, as they're called in the, in Australia, needs to go out and, and, and get the deals and make them happen. So um, that agent or manager needs to have a, a very good network um, amongst the corporate partners, amongst um, you know kit partners, whether it's in swimming, of course, the likes of Speedo and Arena and TYR and things like that but um but uh above everything else and this is where it's really important for athletes when they're making decisions is whether whether they need an agent yet or 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 at all or whether they um and who they choose and so forth the to me the most important thing is to is to um uh, as an agent to have a good understanding of what the action what the athletes ambitions are what they actually want to achieve because not always it's not about the money um very often it's about uh, for most athletes and, and particularly for swimmers it's actually about continuing to achieve uh, continuing to perform so performance in the mm-hmm. pool is the most mm-hmm. important thing so for example i work with adam Peaty and have worked with him since 2014 and um it's it's not about um what adam was going to earn in the first two years or three years it's actually all about performance and even now after all these magnificent achievements it's still about performance and the bottom line is that uh, when the performance comes and particularly if it if it's um if it's uh, ongoing like it has been for adam then the endorsements are going to happen as well and they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and the other opportunities will get more and more so for me the most important thing as an agent is to focus on firstly what the what the needs and what the wants of the athlete athlete are usually that is performance but not always um, and if you focused on that then everything else will come off the back of it you've still got to work hard to get the deals of course but really understanding what the needs of the athletes are and if an athlete can look at that when they're seeing you know they're talking to different agents and so mm-hmm. on they'll they'll know generally they'll know if if, if an agent that, that's talking to them is talking up or i can get you this deal or get you that deal or whatever right. um, but if there's that focus on performance then i think that's a pretty good start to the relationship 
how competitive is the business for you as an agent? You know, you've you've signed Adam Peaty, who's the number one swimmer in the world. You know, let's say like he's he's the guy that everybody wants. Everybody wants to sign. Uh, how competitive is it for you? And how do you then get somebody like that to come work work with you? Yeah, well, I mean, I signed him uh, when he first won the Commonwealth Games, so he hadn't broken a world record yet or, or done anything like that. And um, coincidentally, it was actually Becky Adlington who I've worked with for many years um, before that and still do. Uh, she was the one that wanted me to speak to Adam and, and Adam's coach, Mel Marshall. So um, uh, so I'm very fortunate that Becky uh, sort of cajoled me to doing that, and I did that and met Adam, and he was uh, just a, just an incredible incredibly nice guy, a great mm. human being and, and, and still is, of course. So um, it is competitive um, and uh, I like the fact it's competitive because even for someone like Adam, and we are we're good friends, I suppose, but it's a business relationship and, mm -hmm. and if I'm not doing the deals for Adam now or in the next six months or 12 months to ensure that he uh, continues to um, achieve his goals in the water and, and out of the water, if I'm not doing those deals, then he, he has every right to go and, and, and find someone else to, to do that job. So you know, I, I, I have to. I'm kept on my toes uh, like that. It's no different to uh, to being in in, um, in in the pool. Really, it's it's a competitive environment. You've got to. You can't be complacent. You've got to stay on your toes. You've got to focus. You've got to have a business plan. You've got to set new goals all the time, and you've got to adjust as things happen as well. So, it's um, you know, I, I think the mindset of an athlete is is you know taking that into the agency world has been uh, been really good for me, and um, and and hopefully good for the clients I work with as well. How does it work? Do they sign a contract with you to say, I'm going to work with you for a period of time, year, two, three? What, is, what does it look like? Yeah, generally, um, they're, they're all a little bit different. I mean, my athletes, um, I think the majority of um, companies sort of have two or three-year deals. Some try and sign athletes for longer periods. Uh, I basically have one-year rolling contracts with my athletes because bottom line is if the athlete's not happy, I do not want to keep them um, unhappy. Um, mm -hmm. And if they're not happy, it's usually because I haven't done the, the deals that I would ideally be doing for them. So, mm. um, so you know, uh, that's kind of how it's been. I've had, um, you know, very few athletes that have ever left, um, you know, while their career's still been going and so forth. But, you know, the communication's really important and, and, and just that open relationship's important as well. So I don't want to be tying people in that um, don't want to be working with me. Now, what's the flip side of this? What's the realities for swimmers? You know, how competitive is it for them? Like, I think I think a lot of swimmers think, you know, I'm going to swim at a certain level. I'm going to get an agent. They're going to get me all this money. And it's like this fantasy that kind of goes through your head. What's the realities of it for an athlete? Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I think um, you're looking at the Australian experience with the Sydney Olympics. Um, you know, those those guys, um, men and women, were superstars. You know, Susie O'Neill, Michael Cleamy, and Thorpe, Grant mm -hmm. Hackett, Kieran Perkins, yep. uh, finishing up just uh, those people in this in, in our sport. They were superstars and they, and they did really well, um, both financially and, and, of course, in terms of their performance in the pool. Um, so there was an expectation, uh, perhaps, from, from the next generation coming through that if they did, if they, you know, won medals at the Olympics that they would be you know set up and all that sort of stuff the reality is um, that, that that doesn't happen and and uh, particularly once the home Olympics move on uh, mm. to the next place to to Athens in 2004 to Beijing and so on mm. you know the endorsements and the interest in the Olympics uh, um, it changes back 
not necessarily back to sort of the two weeks every four years, but it does change back. So the, the opportunities become less and less. And we see our, uh, looking at Australia as an example, that we see our Olympic champions of, of more recent times from, say, Rio, um, uh, London and Beijing probably didn't have the earning capacity of the ones around the Sydney era. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I do expect that will change. It's just a natural cycle. Um, the success of the team at the moment is brilliant in Australia, but, it, you know, there's the excitement leading into Brisbane, even though it's 11 years away, that will build and, and the corporate interest and the, the, the public interest and so forth in the sport is going to continue to build as well. So it's an exciting time for them. So, you know, it's, it's, it, every situation is different. Um, it's not about, I mean, it is about the medals and the success, of course, but it's, it's, it's about so much more. And um, um, it's it's about uh, whether an athlete actually wants to do those sorts of things and, and their personality. Their, and nowadays, the social media presence and the way they interact with fans and followers and, and 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 commercial partners and so forth is really important as well. So there's lots of factors involved. Um, but uh, you know, and ideally, um, with a good agent or manager, um, uh, an athlete can learn a lot. And um, and um, if if that's what the area they want to go down in terms of generating commercial um, interest and sponsors and so forth you know we can play a significant role in 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 facilitating that what are the situations where it's better to have a manager and then there are other times where it's better just to to not maybe you know maybe go on your own and try and work some things out yourself because management i guess takes a percentage you know and and that can be um you know great on a big deal but but on smaller deals it could it could be kind of not as worthwhile. Is there situations like that? Uh, there probably is. It's and it's it's more. Um, you know, I work with um, athletes or, or or athletes that have since retired, and and they'll they'll now do uh, get some, uh, for example, speaking engagements and things off their mm. own back and don't pay commission, or they might pay someone else who, who gets them a deal and things. And I've got no issue with that. You know, that's that's part of growing and part of learning and so forth. Um, a good a good agent if they're looking after young talent that's coming through and so forth, um, and if, even if they're starting to. Get get big deals they should be looking after everything um adam pd is an example we 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 do we we look after all of his media um we, mm. we work with him on all of his charity work and things like that and facilitate everything around that um none of that's really income producing but it's part of the management and so mm. you know the, the small deals are equally as important to service and look after and particularly the charity ones where he doesn't get paid anything um they're as important as the big big sort of um six or seven figure deals that he may be doing apart from performance i guess there's also a marketability reality in there too right it's not just win a medal make a bunch of money there's there's some other realities involved isn't there well yeah i mean there's this well winning the medal certainly helps Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of medalists um here in here in great britain for example there was a fantastic success in the pool um but uh i think there was um can't remember the number of golds, but um, I think there was eight medals from uh, great British swimmers. and um, But that's eight of about 60, 65 medals that the British mm. team won across all the sports and so forth. So, And and, and all of those athletes, or the majority of them, are, are quite keen to get um, some sort of uh, sponsorship or, or, or commercial partnerships out of that. So that's that becomes competitive. Um, you compare that to a country where there might be um, – um, one athlete that does incredibly well, the, the, the Tunisian in the 400 freestyle. You know, mm. he's, 
he's the superstar, isn't he? And and you would think that he would probably, if, if there's those opportunities, would do really, really well. So there's lots of other factors out with, you know, the actual medal itself. What about you personally? Do you branch out into people like that or do you stay strictly Australia, Great Britain? Um, strictly Australia, Great Britain. I mean, I'm based here in the UK, so uh, I only work with the British athletes. Um, our business in Australia looks after um, a number of the Australian swimmers. Um mm. And, um, and and they look after that. So um, And we do obviously um, uh, have mutual contacts and, and work together on some deals and things like that. But, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, my my interest is, um, for, from my work point of view, is uh, is with the British athletes and, and ensuring I can do the, um, you know, achieve the goals that they want to achieve outside of the pool. Well, please tell me you had a leg up on your sister's daughter, at least. You guys signed her, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, the TLA is our company and uh, they, they've worked with Emma uh, for a number of years now. So uh, they're, they're uh, incredibly busy back in Australia at the moment. Good. Um, what about the shift then? So where did, where did it shift for you? You know, you're doing really well in Australia and then you end up over in, in Great Britain. Why was that shift? How's it gone for you? Where's it at right now? Um, it, it was it was it was a bit of a personal choice, a bit of a business opportunity, I suppose. London had won the Olympic bid back in two thousand and five for the for the twenty twelve Olympics, and so um, uh, had two young kids and, and um, sort of made a decision to um, uh, look at see if there was an opportunity to establish our business in the in the UK. Um, and uh, we knew it was going to be contingent on maybe signing one or two sort of big name athletes. But having seen what happened and and and, and had the experience of going through what happened with the London uh, with the Sydney Olympics, um, you know, it, 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 we we did believe it was a good opportunity. So that's what mm-hmm. happened, and um, and uh, moved over here. And Becky Ellington was uh, one of the first um, athletes that I signed actually, and, and she'd just come off the back of winning the 400, 800 freestyle in Beijing, and. And uh, Becky, um, well, 13 years on, Becky's you know, household name here and, and, mm. and has been ever since 2008. And, and I guess that's another important thing too for, for, for young athletes looking at agents. It's actually, it's, it's, it's not necessarily just about the career where you're swimming. It's, a, it's about what, um, what your uh, agents or managers can do after your swimming career as well. So it's really important to focus on that. And that's something that's been a big focus for Becky and, and other athletes who have worked on. And fortunately, uh, you know, she's worked incredibly hard since she's retired from swimming in 2012 and, and 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 has set herself up quite nicely and 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 really enjoying what she what she's doing as well how do you know what brand is going to fit different athletes i mean obviously you, let's say you take a, a company like nike just throwing it out there and you you establish a relationship with this company and you know you've got friends within the business and and but then another athlete comes along is just not suited to that brand how do you establish those choices it's well. It's it's often communication with the brand. Um, Nike might be saying, you know, I might be pushing a certain athlete towards Nike, and they may say, no, it's not really our, um, not really our, our cup of tea uh, mm. for various reasons, whatever those reasons might be. Mm. Um, you tend to know sort of what the brand um, is looking for. Uh, in terms of both personality, uh, the values that the athlete might represent, do they represent the, the values of that brand and, and things like that? So it's not, it's not um, you know, uh, it's not like an athlete's going to fit perfectly for mm. a particular brand and not per- not at all for another. There, there, there certainly will be times where um, uh, a brand absolutely wants uh, an athlete that I'm working with but um, yeah, which which would surprise me um, but you know they're the ones at the end of the end of the day that decide you know what sort of association they want and who they want it with 
Now, what happened in 2015 with the sale of the business? What was all that about? We sold the business a couple of times. We sold it in 2001, and um, mm. the company that bought us went into receivership a year later. So um, uh, we ended up buying it back, um, mm. uh, and that was that was an interesting time. We bought it back and basically re rebuilt the business and so forth, and um, virtually all our client base had stayed with us anyway and so on. So um, at that stage, of course, we were just in Australia. Um, so we just continued on effectively. Um, and then 2015, a company called TLA, which was US-based, New York-based, um, enlisted in London. They um, they uh, started talking to us and we ended up selling the business to them. Um, it's actually been through various sales um, uh, and changes of hands since in terms of ownership. It's majority owned by a, a private equity company now. So mm -hmm. I'm effectively an employee now. So my ties are, my ties are done, but I, I do I do enjoy what I do and enjoy the people I work with. But I've, I've gone back from being... Uh, a, I was CEO of the company for a number of years, and um, uh, and then moved over to the UK and, and built the business here. And um, and uh, but the last couple of years, I've just been focused on that on that athlete management and working with the likes of an Adam PT or a Duncan Scott and um, and uh, and so on. So, um, doing what I enjoy, and, and and that's where it's at. Mate, that must be a grind personally as well. I imagine I imagine you've done well out of this. So yeah, I don't think you necessarily absolutely have to do the job you're doing, but you're obviously passionate about it and um, loving it. Um, so what why what keeps you in it? Um it keeps me young. <laughs> I, I do love the competitive environment of elite sport. There's no doubt about it. Um, and um, and particularly swimming, but all sports. And I, and I do work with uh, talent in other sports as well. But um, it's it's been mostly swimmers. Um, and you know, it's part of part of the reason why I um, stepped up and, and took the role as GM of the London Roar as well. It's just mm. uh, seemed like a fantastic opportunity and and and, and a real opportunity to do something. Um, to, to help grow the sport um, globally. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it is more about passion and, and what I enjoy now and, mm. and so forth. But, look, I, 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 I love swimming and I always have and I've been uh, – swimming's been a part of my life for, uh, well, pretty much since, since I can remember. And um, so, you know, it will continue as well and I've, I've, I'm sure I've got some, uh, some future challenges ahead. So there's a few things I like to do. So, um, yeah, we'll see how we go and, um, and, and see where it takes me. Well, let's circle back to that then, the ISL. I mean, it's it's upon us now. There's teams that are in Naples right now. You're about to head out there, and this is the third season, start of the third season. Um, how did you get involved in it, and um, in a, how was your experience the first couple of seasons? Yeah, I got involved. It was actually James Gibson who contacted me. Of course, he was the head coach of Energy Standard, and and um, and uh, it's just taken that team. You know, they won the inaugural title and just beat us in that in the last. Uh, skins race of the um of the uh, first season final and and, mm. and a great team but you know it was james that spoke to me in the first place um and sort of talked me through the concept and the idea and from there i met with um constantine gregorishan and and some of his team and and uh and decided to commit and, and just see where it would go um and um so that was you know i, I was involved from pretty much day one of the isl um and um it's been it's been gm since uh, this will probably be my last year as gm i'll, I'll make that decision uh, at the end of the season but uh um it's a funny thing to say before the season starts but um uh, i was going to stop last year but then there was um there is the slogan that london raw one more for the raw so we're, we've come back to uh, <laughs> to uh for one more season and uh, see where that takes us 
Uh, it's a it's a long season too, mate. But uh, so you're in, you're in it for the long haul. But um, it, well, talk to us about the things that you think have been just incredible for the sport. Uh, I mean, uh, I think FINA put out a tweet today in terms of some of the prize money they're putting out now. There's no way that happens without the ISL. I mean, swimmers, it's it's a great time to be alive if you're a swimmer, especially a short course swimmer. You're going to make a bank load of cash if you if you can. So. Um, talk to us about the things that have been great for the sport due to the ISL. Yeah, no, that, and, and it really is. And, and the ISL has provided a, a huge platform for, for athletes and for coaches as well. And, and you know, we're talking mostly, you know, you, you, you're talking about the, the, the bucks they can earn, the, the money they can earn and so forth, but it, it's the experience they can get as well. Mm-hmm. And we saw, mm-hmm. we saw um, there were such limited opportunities last year Um because of COVID and uh, the athletes, the 300 plus athletes that went to Budapest for that six week period, some of those athletes um, did incredibly well and um, both financially, but more so it was about the experience they got, which which then took them into that Olympic season. And they came, you know, some of those athletes competing at the games, I think uh, wouldn't have won the medals they won and, and achieved what they've done without the ISL um, and being there last season. So there's that financially. Yes, this is a huge opportunity, has been a huge opportunity. Um, I believe it, I, I, and I, I constantly push because I, um, I I want to see things done better and so forth. Um, uh, but there are things that there are things that can be done better. There's no doubt with the ISL. There should be there should be better planning and and, and better cohesion and better better sort of governance and structure. Um, and I continue to push for that. But that's that's up to the ISL executive to make that happen. Um, there's been um, uh, certainly pressure on FINA, and FINA, you know, to their credit, have responded and they seem to be wanting to engage with the athletes more, not just about um, you know increasing prize money, but uh, engaging with the athletes more about their their plan their schedule and so forth but the um the announcement we've, the announcements we've seen and particularly the recent ones with the increase in prize money for world short course championships and other things from fina is fantastic and, and that would not have happened mm. without the isl so look there's lots to be grateful for uh constantine has funded this um all on his own really and there's there's been very little if any commercial support or, or sort of broadcast income yet or anything like that and um so you know we we i think as a sport and, and the athletes and coaches and, and the teams that are around are incredibly grateful um, for that. Um, but we, we need to make sure that this, you know, if this league's going to work, we've got to become, as a league, more professional and, and do things better. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where my questioning starts because I guess we're in season three now. And, and so we've seen what it can do. I've even been part of the experience, which is fantastic season one. I was on the other side of the pool watching you two go at it and, um, you know, it was fun to see, uh, but, and I loved, I loved the whole thing about it too, but, um, we're now in season three where it's like, okay, stuff has to start to stick and there has to be more than just kind of throwing stuff against the wall. And, you know, it's, so to me, I, I know there was a plan in place to have, um, you know, teams like the London raw being financially stable, you know, by, by season three and, and onwards, have you guys been able to bring in personal sponsorships that have been able to alleviate some of that stress from taking money directly from the ISL? 
No, we haven't. And that's, uh, that, that is a key to moving forward. The teams have to become self-sufficient um, and self-sufficient, not in terms, not just in terms of running, running the team, but also uh, ideally contributing revenue, which is going to help to contribute to keep the prize money up and things like that. We, um, uh, we, we cannot uh, expect the funding to continue from, from one man, from the, from mm. the founder. That's the reality. Um, and look, he he has bold visions and and uh, and plans and so forth. And some of these things are out there. You've you've seen some of them. They are incredibly out there and things that I don't necessarily agree with. But that that doesn't matter what I think or don't think. But financially, um, uh, you know, the, the the teams need to become self sufficient. But the league itself has to become self sufficient in terms of generating revenue through um, through sponsorship, but also through um, um, uh, broadcast uh, deals and, and and things like that. So yeah, but a- Rob, fairness fairness to everybody else. I mean, those questions were part of year one and two why are we still asking the same questions year three yeah it's a good question um and and look there's there's quite a few reasons for that these there's no doubt covid's impacted it uh, and impacted finances everywhere and uh i'm not here on behalf of isl saying that either it's 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 a reality because Mm -hmm. um what happened in budapest last year was a miracle that it happened um everyone was amazed that it actually did happen in the Mm -hmm. end and those were there it was successful but it didn't get the um, it didn't get the eyeballs uh, of the world um, uh, watching it, which uh, which then didn't help um, for uh, commercial and broadcast deals for this year. Um, there's there's been uncertainty as to where it's going to happen and so forth. Naples was announced a couple of months ago. Uh, Einhoven for the playoffs has only recently been announced. The final, um, yeah, I don't I personally don't think the final should be in January, but that's a, that's currently where it is. Um, but um, yeah, there's 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 things like that that uncertainty which doesn't help from a commercial point of view and from a broadcasting point of view now there's there's lots of reasons for that um one is the structure of the organization but another is just the reality of um the world we're living in at the moment there is so much uncertainty and and um and uh there's lots of moving targets so it's a really difficult time to to be spending so much money to set up a league like this um but constantine has um been pretty uh pretty focused on making it happen um i really think this year is the crunch year uh, there's got to be some huge steps co- um happening in this in this season uh, or else you know it, it, it's hard to see how it moves forward from there. Yeah, I would I would agree, and and the, these are why I'm asking these questions. And I'm not I'm not badgering you as somebody who's a spokesman for the ISL. It's just more of like, way, that's fine. More, more of an insider because I, I'm on the outside looking in now. Uh, I mean, I still talk to Lenny and and Dave Marsh and and some people like that, but uh, yep. you know, I'm I'm a fan. I, I'm a swim fan like you. I'm a, I'm a swim junkie. I got my own swim podcast for God's sake. So. It's like I love it, but I can't keep up with the ISL. I have no idea what they're doing. Like I have, I can't understand it. I couldn't explain it to anybody, let alone somebody who's just on the street. So, how is this thing going to stick if someone like me, and I'm sure maybe even someone like you on the inside, can't understand what the hell's going on? Yeah, no, there's there's certainly challenges with that, and um, you know, it's it's not a criticism. It's a it's a um, mm-hmm. Constantine has been innovative. You know, he was innovative mm-hmm. with the whole league in the first place, and he's bringing in new innovations. You know, a mm-hmm. rating system last year, which not many people understood, and then there's the, the gemstones this year, which mm-hmm. I've still got to get my head around. But you know, he's, he's just trying different things, and he's um, he, he is a disruptor um, in this in this um, industry. That's what he's trying to do. Um, whether they all work or not is almost inconsequential. It's just like throwing things up. You know, just trying to disrupt the sport and 
and and and in, in a positive way to, to to force change and things mm -hmm. like that. And I that's what I think is the philosophy. That's what how, what I believe he's trying to trying to do. Um, so look, there's there's things that I don't necessarily agree with, and he, and he knows that. Um, and his team know that, and there's things that uh, are confusing, and, and I'm sure they know that as well. But we're throwing it up there, and hopefully, as you said, things will stick. This is this is definitely the year that things have to stick because um, it's difficult to see, particularly as the um, as the, the swimming calendar is so crowded these next three years at the elite level. Um, it's difficult to see um, ISL getting the cut through in 2022 if this season is not a success uh, in terms of getting people to watch it and uh, getting people to understand it. Has there been time for you as a GM and maybe getting together with the other GMs where you felt like, all right, we, we were heard there, we were listened to, like we had an effect on that. Has there, is there any instances you can give us examples of as a GM? <laughs> There's a couple, yeah. Um, okay. look, Constantine does. He likes. He, he does. He does listen to um, athletes and GMs, but uh, there's probably got to be a lot more of that. Um, I think to uh, to get athletes' point of views and things like that. But um, uh, probably probably the best example is the draft. Uh, that was the idea of um, the GMs, which uh, came mm. about for the pest when um, you know the, the, the teams were, were becoming pretty lopsided, and it was obvious. Mm. Up-and-coming athletes wanted to be in one of those top teams because they had opportunities to win more prize money and things like that. So, um, so the draft was uh, an idea of the of the GMs, and and that was um, uh, adopted by the ICL executive, and, and we went from there. And look, the draft itself—it's the first time it's been done. First time it's been done in swimming. Um, if 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 a punter was watching it that didn't understand what was going on or didn't understand the sport, you know, it probably wouldn't have been great entertainment. But again, it's the first time it's happened, and you know. You you would hope that if it happens again, there's improvements and it moves on and becomes more professional. But things like that, um, uh, I guess, are one innovation that has come about from the GMs. There's so much experience there, I and mean, particularly when you look at people like James Gibson and and uh, and uh, and Lenny Kraselberg and Jason Lezak and Caitlin Sandino and so forth. There's fantastic experience there from the sport, but also um, you know just uh, people that have the relationships with the coaches and the athletes and all that sort of stuff. So you know it. it, mm. it it, it can't be ignored in terms of making success in the future. May one of the other things I thought that was absolutely necessary for the sustainability of this thing and for it to work was to have home bases. You know, um, right now you have a lineup. I mean, I was part of the LA Current. I couldn't tell you the whole team. I, I wouldn't know. And and to be honest, I don't really care. It's just like put the t-shirt on and swim. You know, kind of things. But but I want it to be more than that. Like I want to be a supporter of my home team. But also want to have a home team. So, like, why why doesn't London have a home base right now? We do have a home base, and um, and and London's I think the only team that's set up an academy as well. So, London Royal mm. Academy is a uh, has come about through um, through uh, a number of the the swimming clubs in London, and um, it's basically a development squad. And uh, they're they're actually as we speak, they're at a, they're at a training camp in Mallorca, uh, in Spain. Mm. And um, and those athletes are from all different um, uh, from these three different clubs, and there, there'll be uh, almost certainly more London-based clubs joining them. And uh, this development squad gets together and they compete in a few matches and so forth. And and um, and we hope that towards the end of this uh, year, perhaps in, in winter, there will be a um, a junior sort of ISL match um, in London between those uh, between those teams and so on. So, yeah, there is a base, and and London is our base now. No, the 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 team itself did not train there. 
Um, but even now, like um, you know, as I mentioned, the Australians uh, are staying on from Naples uh, through to Eindhoven, and it's every chance that they may well be training in the UK. So uh, we'll have a base there. Um, we're still finalising all of those sorts of details. But um, so there is something there. Um, it, Having a, um, it, it would be wonderful to do like, like was what we tried to do in season one, I suppose, to have matches in in um, the the home cities of the, of the teams and so mm. forth. Financially, it's very difficult to see that working um, because you've got a very small stadium, you've got a two day match, and uh, uh, you know it's the, the clusters are a lot more financially viable. And even the clusters at the moment, I'm talking about cluster like Naples or Eindhoven in November for the playoffs. Um, but but even those, it's 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 a it's a very big financial drain. So to to move everyone around so to compete at all the home cities is probably um, a long way away at this stage. We'd, we'd all love it to happen, but um, I can't see it happening in the next few years. Yeah, mate, it, it's such a great concept, and I want it to work like everybody. I mean, I love it. It's just, I just can't see how it works without Constantine's backing and money, you know. Um, th- th- even the fact that, um, you know, we had this uh, energy standard base where we had James Gibson as the head and you had this team of people and then you had – a kind of a team, a, a group of athletes kind of working together and training together. I was like, that's the future. I mean, you've got it. And then all of a sudden that went away. I mean, this is this is something that was funded by the man and that went away. So it's like if, if that's gone, th- there's no hope for anybody else. Well, maybe. I mean, I look at um, – I'm a big cricket fan. I'm not sure if you, you're an Aussie cricket fan as well, Brett, but the, um, you know, the, I follow the uh, Indian Premier League or the Big mm. Bash League in, in, in Australia. And uh, the Indian Pre- Premier League was the, the start of um, uh, very, very lucrative um, form of cricket. And uh, those teams are, are owned by um, shareholders and entrepreneurs and things mm. like that. And, um, and they're now financially viable, but it's about 10 years on. Um, and um, so, look, the, I think the future, if it's going to if it's going to survive and be a success, the future is to have um, owners who who, who um, uh, financially can sustain um, a team mm. and bring in some commercial revenue, ideally as well. But um, that's probably the future. But you look at a lot of sports, you know, even Tour de France uh, in cycling and things like that. So it's 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 funded by, I guess, benefactors as much as anything else, and that's that's how they succeed. And um, but they're able to sort of. Uh, to, to grow it and do, and bring in some commercial revenue and make it a good TV product and things like that. So, you know, the intention is there, um, but we all know that, um, you know, we, we, we cannot rely on one person's money to make this an ongoing success. There's, there's it, it, the, the, the income or revenue has got to come from other, other places. Well, one of the criticisms on that, Rob, is that the money actually wasn't turning up when it should have. And, and I was vocal on this, you know, and, and some, there were times where I was like, just shut up, Brett, like it's none of your business. And then there are other times where I'm like, well, no one knows about this, you know, like as an insider, kind of an insider, I knew that a lot of the athletes weren't being paid. And and I, don't, I still don't even know if they've been paid for season two. I think they have maybe within the last few days, but we're talking, you know, seven seven eight months after the season's done kind of thing like why was there this massive wait on when i mean athletes had no idea when when their payments were going to come and it's like a, a lot of these athletes aren't making money a lot of them don't have management like rob woodhouse and you know they, they're not they're not making millions of dollars so they really depended on this money and just wasn't showing up and, and from what i hear some of the coaches weren't being paid on time either so like can you give us some background on that? 
Yeah, but I've got to stress and everything I've said today, it's only stress from, this is my opinion, because I'm not part of the ISL in terms of the executive or anything like that. So right. I, I don't, um, uh, I'm not privy to any of those sorts of things uh, in terms of when things will be paid and so forth. But you are correct. Uh, payments haven't been made and, um, and, and we're late and, and things like that. So there are athletes still waiting on payments from last season. Mm. Um, and, and, and this is where it is also so crucial um, that this season is a success. And I think we see the calibre of the athletes that are going to Naples, um, some of which quite possibly, or some of which I know have not been paid fully for last year, uh, but they're committing because um, this guy's committed to them um, in previous years. He's, he's paid everything. He's, he's, I think I'm pretty sure of the athletes, he's, he's paid everything that he said he was going to pay. So I'm pretty sure he will pay everyone, but I'm, I can't speak for him. But uh, um, the, the athletes themselves are going because they believe in the concept. Like you've said, you're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. We all want it to work. Mm. And that's why this year, this season is so crucial. It's got to work uh, because uh, Constantine, it's its its his decision. It is his money and so forth. Um, I've got no doubt. Well, I've certainly hoped that he will um, fulfil all his obligations to pay people and everything like that. And um, so the money has been coming through way later than it should. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, the revenues have not been coming through back the other way um, as, as he would have hoped that they would have mm. uh, and everyone else would have hoped they would have. It's not an excuse by any stretch. And as I said, I'm not, I don't represent him or, or the ISL, but, uh, you know, this year it has to work. Um, but the calibre of the athletes that are going to Naples or are there already or going to the playoffs um, shows that everyone wants this to work uh, mm. because if it's not there, um, there's not much else behind it either. Um, it's not as yeah. if there's another ISL ready to pop up or anything like that. So we all want it to work um, and, um, and you know, it, I think everyone's going to do everything they can to not only make it work but to, 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 to help generate some finance and, and, and so forth and, and, um, and hopefully everyone will get paid as well. For sure, mate. Uh, for sure. I, I hope they do too. Um, what about this other thing that, that was led up by Matt Biondi, this Swimmers Alliance? What, what, was, what was that joke of a thing? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not involved with it at all, so, you know, I can't comment, but I'm not sure what the role is for the Swimmers Alliance and I'm not sure if they've been involved with trying to get the athletes for ISL or whether they've been um, uh, tried to represent um, themselves towards FINA. So I'm actually not privy to that. I, I may well get an update when I'm in Naples, so I'm not sure where that has gone. Um, but, um, you know, um, I guess we'll find out soon enough, won't we? But, um, you know, I think the intention was to, to give the swimmers a voice, a collective voice, almost like a union. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I haven't been updated on that for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the intention too, to have a union and to give the swimmers a collective voice. It was being headed up by Matt Biondi, but from what I know, and, and tell me otherwise if I'm wrong, but it was funded by Constantine. He's paying Matt Biondi to start an alliance to work in voice in unison against him or not against him, but to give the swimmers a voice, but it's being funded by Constantine. I don't understand the concept at all. No, well, I'm, I'm not involved. so I <laughs> I'm not involved either, but it's like, just tell me, what, tell me what's going on. I don't, I don't know. I, as I said, I haven't been updated on um on, on what's happening with the alliance for quite some time, but uh, you know, well, from what I see, their their intention was clear that they want to represent athletes' uh, rights, um, and if they can do that, then that's a real plus. Um, yeah, I don't know who it's funded by or or, or what, um, but I imagine it's mostly because uh, there is a there is a committee of some sort. 
I'm not sure whether it's a board or not, made up of various athletes and so on. I don't even know who's on it, actually. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know where it's gone. And that's the problem here. You're the you're a GM of one of the top teams in the league and you don't have a clue what's going on. How does anyone else supposed to have an idea of what's going on? And again, I'm not being critical here. I'm just trying to figure out what's happening because people people in the know don't even know. Yeah, well, I I I, uh, I like to think I've got a clue on what's going on in, in most things, but the, the, the Swimmers Alliance is not something which yeah. really comes across the GM's desk, to be honest. Yeah. So it's not really anything to do with 18. Um, it's right. it, the collective of the swimmers, and I'm not sure how many swimmers signed up to it or, or where it went. So, you know, it's... Um, yeah. I'm the same, yeah. I, I got the same questions. I don't know. <laughs> thought I'd ask somebody because... I can't even. I can't get anyone from the ISL to kind of come on and, and talk because even that seems like there's a, the it's closed doors. Am I wrong in that, or is, do, do I do I get that feeling? I don't think ISL will be closed doors. But look again, I don't speak for the ISL. I'm just uh, I'm just here as myself, and, and and I happen to be GM of of a team. And you know, I, I'd like to think our team's very organised, and we we um, uh, we. Yeah, we're we're ready to to race, and you know, it's been a lot of work pulling the team together and all the logistics around it, the, the support staff and so forth. We're also working on building that culture within the team, but also that um, that uh, uh, sort of development support through the pathway program and or the the, um, the London Royal Academy and so on. So that's my role. Um, uh, but it, it still comes down to the fact we are financially dependent on the ISL. So um, you know, we need to become independent uh but at the moment we're not so um yeah that's uh that's the challenge we have yeah you're right just shut up brett and get on with it so <laughs> who is the coach it's huh? all um there's all just finishing on the from, on, on that side of yeah. it it's, it's there's no doubt as i said early on that there is there is problems and there's challenges and and it's it's a really difficult situation uh for for everyone involved but everyone believes in it and that's the right. that's i guess the the, um, the underlying principle, but everyone knows, and I'm sure Constantine knows this as well, that, um, you know, that, that, that belief will go if, if people don't get paid and so forth, but it will also potentially go from him if the commercial side isn't developed and so on. So, mm. you know, we're all in this, you know, I, I, I sincerely believe that we are all in this together. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is our, this season, we have to make it work. Um, we want to make it work. Um, we want to put on a great show. Anyone, anyone that's been to a, um, a match before, like the one in London, for example, you know, it was blown away and uh, we had you know, the, the London Olympic Stadium uh, Aquatic Centre was filled to capacity and things like that. And so the potential is fantastic to make it an entertainment product. Commercially making it viable is a huge, huge challenge and it's just not working yet. But, um, we just hope we can um, make that happen. Right. To answer your question, the coaches, our, our head coach is Stephen Tigg, um, who's the coach of, uh, amongst others, Duncan Scott and um, oh. and Kathleen Dawson, both Olympic champions. And, and um, so uh, he, he won't be there at the start of this this uh, season for, uh, for um, a couple of reasons, but he'll be joining us in Naples uh, about week two. And we've got a good coaching staff and, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really looking looking forward to it is there I, i've heard from a couple of teams there's a philosophy change a little bit because you're going to be there for a, a little bit of an extended period in terms of the the coaching the way it's going to be set up some teams have decided to um, go away from doing individual work where the the home coaches have a say in kind of what's going on and there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that all over the place it seems like they're pulling teams in a little bit to kind of have a little bit more of a team feel where the, the head coach and the coaches will have a say in kind of the workouts that are going on behind the scenes and that sort of thing. Have you got the same philosophy with the London Raw? 
Yeah, and we've had that since day one of the first season, actually. We've had a very small number of coaches compared to other teams. Um, in uh, Budapest, we actually only had four coaches, um, mm. including home coaches. So it was a very small team of coaches, but those coaches worked hard with um, with the athletes they were with, but also with uh, with the home coaches that were back home of those athletes. And, and there was regular communication with those coaches and feedback and so forth. So it was a um, it was a pretty big collective effort from uh, Mel Marshall, who was the head coach last year, um, to make that a success. And um, and um, you know, she did a fantastic job, as did the rest of the coaching staff. Yeah, I really like that concept. I think that's a great thing going forward to try and bring bring more of the swimmers together and have more of a team feel. Uh, I think it, that works real well. Uh, look, man, I'm excited for it. I'm sure you are. It should be a lot of fun. Um, is there any talk of it going beyond just short course um, meters? Is is there any been any talk of long course? Uh, not that I'm not that I'm aware of. I know certainly uh, before season one, there was there was talk of the the, the home team, if you like. Um, Choosing whether it was long course or short course, but the um, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to to do that, of course, um, in terms of uh, what's required from a production point of view and things like that. And certainly from a TV broadcast point of view, the um, the overwhelming feedback was you know, short course is better. So that's what they've that's what they've concentrated on. Um, so I, I would imagine that that's short course only is here to stay. But um, it, it'd be fantastic to. To, to do a bit of a mix and so forth, but uh, I, I actually don't know. Once once I'm out in Naples, and um, I'm sure there'll be various meetings between the GMs and the ISL executive to to find out what uh, what their plans are and, and hopefully to give some feedback. Good stuff, mate. Well, listen, uh, what's the future look like for you other than just this ISL? I mean, three years to Paris, pretty exciting times, I guess. Yeah, it's exciting times. I mean, my, my future will stay with swimming, no doubt. And um, obviously, the management side of it is what it is at the moment, has been for for a long time. And um, you know, I'm really fortunate with the the, the athletes I work with um, in, in that in that role. Um, I am really fortunate for the um, uh, for the three years. or coming up. This is our third year of um, being involved with the ISL with the London Raw team as well. And, and and it's been an incredible experience working with athletes from so many different countries around the world, as well as coaches and governing bodies and so on. But uh, as to where it goes, who knows? Um, I'll definitely be back in Australia at some point. Um, but certainly at the moment here, I'm in Britain um, in, in enjoying the Scottish summer. Well, good stuff, mate. I appreciate you doing this for us. Um, this is the first time I've had these little um hints up the top here you know i had two hundred and fifty thousand views in the last month of different podcasts and um, live shows that we've put out but i've only got five thousand subscribers so everybody listening to this and all the little gems that you've just got from rob woodhouse hit the subscribe button for us would you go a long way i appreciate that but um rob uh thanks again mate thanks for doing this thanks brett all the best all right take care mate bye so the Magic 5 Custom Swim Goggles. Now, I got to tell you, I really love these things. I did the scan. I got the Magic 5 app, and I held up my phone to my face. It took a scan of my face within 10 seconds. It shoots it off, gets processed, and within a couple of weeks, I get these brand new goggles that are custom fit to my face. No leaks. The gasket fits perfectly around my eyes. I got to tell you, these things look beautiful. They're they're good looking goggles. They're super clear. I can see out of the peripheral. Everything is as I would want it. Custom fit. Use code BRETTHAWK20 to get 20% off your own pair of custom fit Magic 5 goggles. 
These things are incredible. I highly recommend them. All strokes, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly, freestyle, perfect fit to your face. Get yourself a pair today.